Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC London, Darren the Gorilla Till versus Jorge Gambren Masvidal. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, a welterweight clash in the main event. This is a great fight. Darren Till coming off that disappointing title effort against Tyrone Woodley. And uh, now he gets a chance to redeem himself on his home turf against one of the greats, uh, Jorge Masvidal. You know, he's a a fan favorite. And uh, let's see what Till does. Absolutely. Very intrigued by that. And they stacked the card. Uh, Some of these fights could arguably be on a pay-per-view main card. And now it's uh, on ESPN+. So I'm very excited to check that out. And a quick announcement. Half the battle is now available on Spotify, so thank you so much to all our fans that made that possible. Something that I've personally wanted to be on for a very long time. I mean, it's the app that I listen to for all my music needs and my podcast needs for like the last decade. Now half the battle is officially on Spotify, so make sure you go on there and start following. And real quick, uh, joining us on the show right now is UFC featherweight Chaz the Scrapper Skelly. Chaz, welcome back to Half the Battle. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, guys? Chillin', man. Good to have you back on. Well, boys, let's break down this whole card start to finish because first up, in the featherweight division, we got Nad Naramani. He's minus 155. And Mike Grundy, or as they like to say in the UK, Shaq, Mike Grundy. <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, plus 135. Nad Naramani is 12-2 and two, and Mike Grundy is 11-1. and one. So, man, both these guys are consummate winners. Both these guys are from the UK. But the one difference here is that Nad Naramani actually moved to the United States because he wanted to address his wrestling. Well, interestingly enough, this guy Mike Grundy has been wrestling since he was six years old, placed bronze medal in the Commonwealth Games. So now I got to know, man, uh, since Nad Naramani's been putting in that work in the USA with Team Alpha Male, you think his wrestling will be up to par with a lifelong wrestler? This is a very good fight. Now, Grundy coming in for his UFC debut, I think he's pretty high level, man, to be uh, going in there against Nad Naramani, who seems like he's one of the top prospects at featherweight. He had a fight scheduled with uh, Barzola there, but Barzola pulled out. Now, Naramani, I think he's shown well-rounded skills in his two fights. Granted, they were against two Bantamweights, Khalid Taha and Anderson Dos Santos. But he went out there and treated them accordingly, man. He's got a very well-rounded game, good footwork, that European-style footwork. He's got good takedowns, good takedown defense. Even though we haven't seen him stuff against the quality of wrestler uh, of Mike Grundy, you know, I think overall game, I think Naramani has Grundy beat. I think Grundy's just a, a specialist, you know. He's coming out there to get those takedowns and seal off that uh, top control time and win a decision. And, uh He's going to beat a lot of guys with that strategy. I do think he's got a little size on Naramani. I completely understand why everyone's taking the shot on Grundy. I mean, look, he's got the clear path to win here. Go out here, get his legs, and get him down. Use your world-class wrestling. So I definitely understand why uh, Grundy's a popular underdog, but I got to go with Naramani. I just think he's the more conditioned fighter. I think he's the better uh, overall fighter, and I think that Grundy's going to use a lot of energy trying to take him down, and I think the next two rounds, Naramani's just going to outpace him and outwork him. Chaz, I know that wrestling is something that obviously you've been doing for a very long time. So when you see a guy like Mike Grundy, I got to know, man, because listen, shout out to all our UK fans. I know we got a huge fan base in the UK, but uh, the reality here is that UK wrestling is not on par with American wrestling. You think a couple years training at Alpha Male is enough to close that gap here for Naramani? Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, to be honest, we're fighting mixed martial arts. We're not wrestling. You look at guys like... Uh... Mirsad Bektik, who, I mean, I fought him my first fight in the UFC. It was his first fight in the UFC as well. I didn't even train wrestling that, like that camp hardly at all. I just thought I was going to go bullet. Like, I didn't think he stood a chance with me uh, in the takedown game. I I wanted to knock him out. I, I you know, worked mostly my boxing, and, and it, was a, it was a big mistake for me. So, 
when you talk about these guys, it's not a wrestling match. I mean, it's mixed martial arts, and, and it's a completely different style of wrestling. You got the cage, uh, which you know takes away a lot of the hips, and there are a lot of ways you can manipulate yourself to defend takedowns against the cage, and, and also to get takedowns against the cage. I think that near money, uh, I'm gonna call him Nad. I like Nad better. I, I, I'm. A, I think that Nad does a really good job uh, wrestling for mixed martial arts. He really does. I mean, his takedowns are good. Uh, from what I've seen, when I watch when I watch tape of him, I say, you know, this guy does have good rest, good does have good takedowns. Uh, he is very well rounded. I did place a bet on Grundy when I first watched the video. I just thought that Grundy had very smooth uh, entries. He had powerful takedowns. What I like about Grundy is that he's not just a wrestler. He also has good grappling. I mean, he's he's good. He has a good top game, and I think he's going to be on top. Now, I don't know how uh, Nad's bottom game is per se. I mean, I know he likes. I know he's got pretty good get ups. He gives his. He's going to give his back though to get up, which you know Grundy. Uh, isn't isn't like me i mean he's not gonna throw his hooks in and, and try and re a trick he's gonna try and grind that out and you know control the wrist and, and and bring him back to the mat that way which i mean you talk about someone getting worn down if grundy does get him down early and, and that gives his back and, and tries to stand up against the cage and grundy keeps dragging him down and dragging him down and dragging him down i mean he's going to be just as exhausted as grundy so that's going to be a war there uh like a war of attrition and you know in my opinion, I just think Grundy has the better grappling of the two. And I've seen some pretty slick dart setups from him where he steps back over. He, he uh, takes the arm with him and steps back over, and I really like that. I could see him hitting that. And I could see him actually getting a submission in this fight. Now, I was pretty com- when I first watched the film, I was confident because I thought that um, Ned's striking is, is very predictable. He's, he's, he boxes and... Um, he loves left hooks, man. I don't, I don't know what it is about him throwing. Uh, he's just, he's, a, he's, uh, he's stuck on that left hook. And when you get predictable like that, it does make the entries on your legs a lot easier. And uh, Grundy is one of those guys that he can take you down in the open. He's, he's not going to be necessarily looking to push it to the cage and take him down. He's uh very explosive with his finishes. He's strong. He'll lift you up and he can finish you. I, I, I think if, if Nad gets, uh, predictable with his boxing, it's going to make the entries pretty easy for Grundy. And if he doesn't push him against the cage and he takes him down out in the open, I don't think he's going to be wasting a lot of energy there on the takedowns, like you think. So I did go Grundy, I did bet on him. And but I will say, I after I've I've obsessed over the film on this fight, and I'm not super confident, man. Like, that's tough. He's tough. He's well-rounded. He's a very well-rounded fighter. And if he's improved a lot out of alpha male, he could make it a long night for Grundy. I'm just hoping Grundy gets in there out in the open and not against the cage, lifts him, takes him down, grinds him out on top and gets a, I'm, I'm looking at a Darce finish for him. So Chas is going with Grundy via Darce choke. So for me, it's interesting because Nad Nermani, what he's shown me, not just in the UFC, but on the Cage Warriors regional scene, he was the Cage Warriors champion. The guy's pretty damn well-rounded. And obviously, you guys go back to that fight against Enlund back in 2014. And I guess that was the one time that 
I don't want to say his wrestling got exposed, but you know, he was taken down a few times. He addressed that. He moved to the States, to Alpha Male. Now he's working with D1 wrestlers. Now I know a lot of people are going to sit here and act like, oh, but Alpha Male is on this big skid. Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, well, Feely did just win, but let's talk about that for a sec. Okay, Chad Mendez, the dude was on retirement's doorstep. Of course he's done. Cody Garbranch, the way he fights, of course he's done. But with a guy like Nadner Armani, look, what you got to understand is, Cody Garbrandt and Chad Mendes, they were already D1 wrestlers, so it's not like they have all this area, all this uh, ground to cover, whereas a guy like Nad Naramani moving to the States, working with guys like Chad Mendes every day, you know, Nad's not a D1 wrestler, that's gonna help Nad's MMA wrestling just get that much better, so now my, the question is, has he leveled up to the point where he can go out there against Mike Grundy and uh, stuff those takedowns and make this a mixed martial arts fight, like Chaz was referring to earlier, that this is not... A wrestling match. This is a MMA match. So that's what's interesting to me. Now, I think that if you played Grundy, you know, around the plus 160 to even plus 225, if, 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 if you played him around that range, you got a good good value. And now, if you want to guarantee yourself a profit, you can even come back on the other side and bet Naramani because the line has dropped so much that that is an option for you. But that being said, this UK wrestling, I need to see it firsthand inside the octagon before I'm willing to jump on the train. I'm not counting him out at all. I'm just going to sit back and see firsthand if he's the real deal or not. So I'm going to go with Nad Naramani just because he's proven more than me at this point. But uh, I have uh, an open mind, and I can't wait to see what happens. I'm actually – you having said that, uh, I'm actually considering if the line drops anymore, I am thinking about uh, you know hedging my bet with, with Naramani, to be honest with you, just because if – I didn't know. Well, I didn't even know that he was out at Alpha Male initially. I saw one of my good friends and uh, my old roommate, Alex Munoz, is one of the. He helps coach. He, he's a wrestler, wrestling out at uh, Alpha Male, and he's out there cornering near money. I didn't even know. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know he was at Alpha Male, and uh, got me thinking. I, you know, I mean, I'm like, if this guy did improve his wrestling and he can stop some of those takedowns i mean it's gonna be a long night for grundy doesn't i wish he would open up more to to open those takedowns up but he just doesn't really and, uh, i just don't see him winning the striking battle at all if it does stay standing i mean yeah betting so, on grundy it's contingent on him getting these takedowns but when you got the kind of dog odds that you got or even better i can completely understand but now that it's dropped now that so much action has come in th- i mean listen i'm not the biggest advocate of hedging but this is a good spot to guarantee yourself a profit. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I, I and uh, I'm not a big advocate of hedging either, but I am a big advocate of guaranteed money. And, yes, uh, sir. And if it drops any more, I'm going to do it. So Hell yeah. Well, next up in the flyweight division, we got Molly the Can McCann. She's 7-2, and two, and Priscilla Cachoeira is 8-1. and one. And currently... They got Molly McCann. She's minus 200. The comeback on Priscilla Cachoeira is plus 170. Well, Shaq, uh, I know Molly the Can McCann didn't have the best uh, first impression in her UFC debut. But now she's minus 200 against Priscilla Cachoeira. Do you think she's simply going to be the more technical fighter than Cachoeira? Or do you think that it's going to be uh, two straight L's here, man? Man, this is a, a tough fight to call because, you know, I'm really not impressed with uh, either lady, you know. Meatball Molly. <laughs> I mean, she did fight a ground specialist in her UFC debut, but Priscilla Cachoeira fought the uh, UFC flyweight champion in her UFC debut. She was undefeated prior to that. I know her style is hideous. I mean, 
She just throws these big, loopy punches. The thing is, they have a lot of power on them. And uh, for the female division, you know, that is kind of important. Molly McCann also has the reputation as a boxer. Her ground game is definitely very suspect. So, I mean, she's going to stand there with Cachoeira. So there's a good chance Cachoeira gets her fight. Um... You know, but I kind of have to just slightly lean McCann just because just I do see the I can see the straight punches landing all day. But uh, this could be that typical close female fight, man. You can't really trust either. Can't trust either side, in my opinion. But it's a dog or pass from the betting perspective. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, this girl has two losses to Jillian and uh, somebody else. And she only lost to Valentina. So, But I slightly lean McCann. Chaz, man, you going with Priscilla Cachoeira or Molly McCann? Uh, uh, Molly's nickname is Meatball, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's a long-time joke between me and the fans that have to battle. I'm not betting against anybody named Meatball. Ever. <laughs> ever. But no, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think, I think Shaq said it pretty well. Um, sometimes, and I'm not downing anybody, but sometimes in these um, women's fights, when the odds are like this on two fairly unproven women, it is so hard to bet those. And I'm just, I just don't trust it either way. It has to be a dog or pass for me. I, you know, Priscilla didn't, I didn't think she looked good against Valentina. I, I mean, I mean, yeah, Shevchenko. I, I just didn't, I didn't think she looked good. Um, but I didn't think, I mean, obviously, Meatball didn't look good either in her last fight. It's going to be a completely different fight. I mean, it's going to be a stand-up battle, right? And, yeah, I hope Meatball wins because I like her nickname. But <laughs> as far as the fight's concerned, I I did watch each of their I, – I did watch – I actually watched all the uh, uh, Meatball fights before for the la- her last fight, but I just can't trust her. Um it's a no bet for me, but I hope she wins. I like her nickname. I think she's got a good, good personality. I, I like her. I think she's funny. So, whatever. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with both of you. I'm going to go with Molly the Can McCann as well. I think that in this spot specifically with Priscilla Cachoeira, she does come out and she does throw those bombs. And with other people in that division, it's actually going to kind of punk them out because they're not used to girls swinging that hard. But in this specific spot, you know, even though we, we've talked a little shit in the past, the fighter that was able to expose Molly McCann was actually a, a grappler, and Priscilla Cachoeira is a, a Brazilian brawler. So I actually think that Molly can win this fight by being the smarter fighter in here and actually going out there and putting on a bit of a Euro point fighting type of performance here, possibly even getting a finish along the way. So I'm going to go with uh, Molly McCann here for the victory. Mm-hmm. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Dan Ige. He's 10-2. and two. And Danny Henry, he's 12 and 2. And currently they got Dan Ige minus 145. The comeback on Danny Henry is plus 125. Chaz, I'm going to let you go first, man. This is your weight class. Both these guys are really tough. Uh, who you got? Um, Man, this is another one of those fights that I really, I really like watched the film. And I was like, when I looked at it initially, I was like, Ige, uh, you know, I think. I think with his take, because he does have good takedowns and, and he's got good top control. I absolutely hate the fact about him, though, that he cannot stick the back. Like, like he should have had Jordan Griffin out. I mean, I, I'm not going to say out of there because the guy's tough and he's squirmy and, and he wormed his way out several times. But, like, 
you know, I feel like Ige should have really just dominated that fight and uh, with the takedowns and the positions he had him in, just he had him in like dominant control positions and just never capitalized. Um, so, man, I wanted to bet Ige so bad. Like, like I was, but then when I also go back and, and watch his fight against uh, Julio, how do you say his last name? Ars? Is it Ars? Arce. 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 Uh, when, I w- when I go back and watch that fight, I'm like, man, you know, if somebody, if somebody comes to Ige aggressive and, and, uh, and just puts it out there with length and range, you know, he has a really hard time with the striking if he can't get the takedowns. Now, can Henry stop the takedowns? I mean, I don't know, but I do know that he's an aggressive striker uh, and he's got a chin on him, man. Like, like I saw him walk straight forward and just get tagged over and over and over and just keep coming forward and never stop and, and uh, win a really gritty decision. And I really like that about that guy. And so this was another no bet for me. I can't, I just can't pull the trigger like I wanted to. Like, I want to go Ige, and, and I'm actually going to say I think that Ige gets the takedowns. Uh, I think that he wins enough control in the rounds. I, I think he controls the rounds enough to where he can, uh, he can, he can squeak out a decision here. But, man, if, if Henry comes out like a man on fire and stuffs a couple takedowns, and really puts it on him striking wise. Like I think that he can like, like his length, unfortunately it seems like he kind of crowds it. He walks forward a little too much and crowds his punches with, with as long as he is. But uh, he also does like to throw knees on the in-between, which I think could, could be very beneficial for him considering, you know, that Ige wants to get it to the ground. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Ige and say, he's going to, he's going to squeak out a decision here. But I would not be surprised if Henry heard him on the feet and, and got the win. So the pick is Ige for Chaz the Scrapper Skelly. Well, Shaq, listen, man. Obviously, both of these guys have been pretty damn impressive. Ige is a very dominant grappler, and Danny Henry seems like one of those guys. He'll take that ass-whooping up front. You start to slow down on him, he will tee off on you. We know Ige has had somewhat of a cardio issue in the past. That third round against Jordan Griffin, he was able to grind it out and get the win. So now I got to know, man, who you got in this featherweight matchup. It's a very good matchup, man. You know, firstly, I think both guys are definitely, uh, I wouldn't say low level, but I would definitely say definitely in the developing stages of the 144 division. I think that Ige, he's a college wrestler. He can definitely get takedowns. We saw that in the Santiago fight. We saw that in Jordan Griffin. What's the common thing at Rufus Sport? Those guys uh, are always stuffing takedowns, man. Uh, They're not known for their takedown defense. So, you know, I wasn't that uh, surprised. I mean, going into that fight, we knew Jordan Griffin had some very suspect takedown defense. Now, with Danny Henry, on the other hand, you know, Danny Henry's not really that impressive. I think the most impressive thing about Henry is his mental, his heart. You know, I think uh, he's one of these guys that can capitalize on Ige's weakness. Ige's a guy that his weakness is that he's going to use a lot of energy grappling. When they get back up to the feet, he's going to be in big trouble when someone is able to stuff the takedowns and make him work. So I think Henry's going to do exactly that. I think Henry's going to get taken down a little bit early. But I think he's one of those guys that's just nonstop. I think that even on bottom, he's going to be making them work. He's going to either get a stand-up or a scramble back up to their feet and take over in the late rounds. To, to take out a guy like uh, Hakeem Duato, even though Hakeem Duato's not the best guy, but he's a super hyped prospect, and we saw how he looked against Bosniak. To take him out in less than, uh, what was it, 30 seconds is very impressive. And I think uh, 
Henry gets a job done. I think he struggles a little bit early, but I think he gets the Ige late after Ige uses a lot of energy with the takedowns. Man, you do bring up some great points because obviously that cardio of Ige, you weather that little jujitsu storm. I say little jujitsu storm. It's a serious jujitsu storm. You weather that, you can get him in that gassed out state. It's just when you do have him there, you you know you can't just tee off on him and then uh, give up a takedown because he'll steal the round after that. You know what I mean? You got to tee off on this guy to the point where you do put him down. And there is no question that you are the better man because if this is a back-and-forth fight, I really think that the takedowns of Dan Ige is what's going to seal off those rounds. And obviously, once it hits the mat, he's great at passing. He's great at scrambling to the back. So Dan Ige's grappling game is on point. You know, he's also got things going on outside the cage. He's also a manager. So Dan Ige is a very smart guy. With Danny Henry, obviously, I love his resilience. I love the kind of heart this guy brings to the table. He's one of those dudes that I feel like he's going to have to get a couple more wins to gain a lot of people's respect because even in that fight with Tamor, he was getting teed off on for about seven minutes. Then he came back against the gas fighter. And then the last one against Hakeem, unbelievable performance, but it was under 30 seconds. So I feel like we really don't know much about him yet, except that he's a tall man for the weight class and he's he's very, very tough. So, But, but Ige is Hawaiian. He's tough too. I'm going to go with Ige here, but I do believe it's a dog or pass situation. Yeah, I think uh, another thing that I was going to say about that is cardio issue. I mean, you look at somebody like Griffin, that that guy's a worm, man. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in a way that, like, he was forcing the scrambles and he was in bad positions and forcing the scrambles. And even though uh, Ige was on top, he was making him work and he kept getting out and scrambling up. That's an exhausting style fight. I mean, shit, that that is... 15 minutes of just going. And so I don't think Ige's cardio is as bad as you might think. Uh, and if Henry doesn't force those scrambles on the ground to where he's really making them work, I, I, you know, if he lets him settle into positions, he's not going to gas him out like that. That's a good point. Yeah. So – Next up in the middleweight division, we got Tom Breeze. He's 11-1, and Ian Heinish is 12-1. And, and currently, they got Tom Breeze minus 140. The comeback on Ian Heinish is plus 120. Well, Shaq, we've only seen Tom Breeze one time in the last three years, and it was against the now-retired Dan Kelly. And with Ian Heinish, I mean, talk about a guy that's changed his life around. I mean, from being a, dr- a drug kingpin in Spain to now, he's uh, one of the top middleweight prospects in the world. Yeah, it's a very good fight. Uh, Tom Breeze moving up to 185. I definitely think that's the best decision for him moving long term. And I think Tom Breeze is a good fighter. You know, he's got good boxing. He's got uh, good jiu-jitsu with his leg locks. Um, I think, uh, like I said, 185 is definitely going to be good moving forward. But I just think he's untested against. He's yet to... He's yet to beat a proven guy. You know, when he fought Sean Strickland at 170, he lost that fight. He lost the last two rounds. No shame in losing to Strickland. That was a good fight. But, you know, other than that, we've only seen him against, uh, against like you said, Kelly, uh, Nakamura. Luis Dutra. Luis Dutra. And Cajal Pendrit. Pendrit. So his level of competition is a little suspect, in my opinion. And then we got Heinish, who, you know, uh, lost his LFA title to Marcus Perez, then won it back, got his call on Contender Series, and then uh, took out, arguably, a top... 25 guy and Cesar. I mean, we're talking about a guy with wins over Smith, Marquardt, uh, Hermanson, uh, Maheda, Roberson, uh, Serginho. I mean, Cesar's being a lot of guys, and to go out there in 30, 27, 29, 28 on two cards uh, was very impressive, man. He broke he broke uh, Cesar Mutanchi 
fairly early in that fight. I think uh, if he stands in front of Tom Breeze, I think Breeze is definitely the better puncher. But I think that Ian can work around it. I think he's got good footwork on the outside with his feints and his fakes. And, you know, he's got a lot of kicks from the outside. And he just strikes me as the more game guy mentally. You know, I've seen Breeze break, although it was at 170. We haven't seen we haven't seen a test at 185. So, you know, I think Heinish has definitely got him beaten mentally. Not saying that Breeze is a mentally weak guy. I just think that Heinish, like you said, his background, he's willing to go to a very dark place mentally to get a win. And uh, I think that he's just going to be the more aggressive guy here. I think that he's going to work around Breeze's boxing. I don't think he's going to stand in front of him at all. I think he's going to just uh, find his spots exploit him and take advantage of his opportunities and i think that he will just be the tougher guy throughout the three rounds Chaz, obviously it's a very intriguing middleweight bout ian heinish had that impressive debut tom breeze we're not really sure what to think because he's been out for a while so i gotta know your opinion man um yeah this is another tough one man this is what i tweeted out that uh initially i had a lot of fights that i really thought i really want to throw bets down on and then after i watched the tape i'm just like God, these are just razor thin fights that it's hard, hard to call. I mean, it's just it's tough. Some of these matchups, usually during cards, I'm like, I'm very confident in this one. I like this one. I'm very confident in this one. This is one of those cards where I'm not, I'm just not super, super, super confident in a lot of these fights. But um, I will say one thing. I think uh, I, I love the way that Breeze stays long, and I, I like the way that he uses his jab. He's a southpaw. He's a good, strong southpaw. Uh, he's a big guy. He's a long guy. I like the way that he uses his jab, and I like the way that he follows it up with his straight. Um, he is pretty stationary. I think uh, Heinish has – he's an explosive guy, and he's got really good kicks. If, if Ian comes out and – really starts putting it on him with kicks early. I think that's going to pay huge dividends with him throughout the fight. However, um, I don't like how he floats his hands down. Like I just, I just can see breeze outboxing him here, to be honest with you. I, I mean, the guy drops his hands. He keeps his hands pretty low and uh, even Caesar hit him with, some pretty decent straights um, throughout that fight. One thing that I thought that was pretty impressive is that uh, Ian, when he was on bottom, he, uh, he you know, he, he swiveled his hips for those arm bars. Pretty, I mean, that was really impressive. His his jujitsu in that in that fight was it was nice. So I think Tom Breeze has great jujitsu. Uh, from what I've seen from him, he actually has great jujitsu. I I don't know exactly how good his jujitsu is, but I know that he's not afraid to to turn his hips and, and look for, look for submissions. I know that he's going to throw it up there. I'm actually going to go with breeze. I think he's going to stay long. And I, I think, I think Heinz just keeps his hands a little too low and that's worrisome for me. I think this is a good solid pick em fight, but uh, I'm going to go with breeze. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about how Heinish keeps his hands down and this is true, but, uh, if you're going to mention that, you also have to mention how Breeze keeps his right hand down the entire time because he has that boxing style. And, you know, boxers love to keep that lead hand down. That's what Breeze does. So 
I don't think only one guy keeps his hands down in this fight. I think both guys do, but I think it's a little different. I think on the outside, Heinish kind of has his hands down, but when he kind of closes the distance and tries to come in that pocket, faints a couple times, then his, his hands start to lift, whereas Breeze relies more on the fact that he's six foot three. He probably has a longer reach than these guys and that boxing background. They love to keep that lead hand down. But what's interesting about Breeze is that he's actually a leg lock guy who has a little bit of boxing too. So people think he's a boxer, but the reality is he's a leg lock guy. I mean, the guy's out there competing in Polaris. I know you saw that fight against Keita Nakamura where he was a minus 900 favorite. And at the end of that fight, uh, we weren't sure who won. Now, obviously, he moved up to 185 pounds. Best decision he's ever made. Now, I'm not going to be a guy that sits here and you know makes fun of someone for having anxiety because, look, we're all human beings. We all go through shit. But when you get a gimme fight, you get the easiest fight on the roster against Oluwali Bangbose. They're trying to give you a highlight reel win in your home country, I believe. I think that was in England. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. And it's like, dude, we're welcoming you in a middle way. Here you go. Here's Oluwali. Just get him out of there real quick. And you pull out the day of the fight, not because you were sick, due to anxiety. Again, not making fun of it. We all go through shit. But that just lets me know right there that you know it, it's not going to ever pan out in terms of the top 15. Because you think Dustin Poirier would ever pull out of a fight on fight day due to anxiety? You think Max Holloway would? I know. You think Chaskelly would? I know these guys wouldn't. So I'm just saying that I don't think that Breeze is necessarily the toughest. And I saw that too in the Sean Strickland fight in round three. It was 1-1 going to the third. They had to make a choice. And Sean Strickland, who's known for jabbing guys on the outside, was on top of Breeze pounding him. The ref was saying, move fighter, move fighter. So... I mean, and then he moved up to 85. He fought Dan Kelly. I fucking love Dan Kelly. I've had him on the show multiple times. But Dan Kelly, the reality is he's 40-something. He's got two knee braces. He's got two ankle sleeves. Like, come on, man. And in that fight, he punched him in the eye. Kelly covered up his eye and took a knee. Like, I love Dan Kelly. Dan Kelly is my boy, but we got to be honest about what we saw there. Whereas with Ian Heinish... Listen, it's one thing to make your UFC debut against a guy like Cesar Mutanch. It's another thing to make that UFC debut against Cesar Mutanch off the couch on six-day short notice. We're talking about with Fajera, a guy that finished Tiago Maheda Santos, a guy that finished Jack Hermanson, a guy that finished Carl Roberson, a guy that easily decisioned the, the former 205 number one contender, Anthony Smith. Cesar Mutanch is fucking legit, not to mention he's a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The reason I bring that up is oftentimes... Cesar gets on top of someone, and uh, <laughs> you can uh, look at your watch and count down the seconds to, to that fight being over shortly after. You remember that Carl Roberson fight? Uh, Hermanson, I mean, these are legit guys. Like, you get on top of Hermanson, I, you know, you think Hermanson's going to survive, get back up. Hermanson was, it was over, bro. And with Heinish, Heinish is off his back attacking arm bars. I was like, damn, the fact that he's attacking a third degree black belt with arm bars and guillotines tells me that. Look, for some people, they see it as, oh, he jumped guard versus a third-degree black belt. That's low fight IQ. The way I view it is, well, that was actually a pretty damn close attempt, and if it was against anyone else, he probably would have got it. So I do think that if he jumps guillotine on a guy like Heinish or tries to set up some kind of submission, excuse me, against Breeze, that I think he will do that. Now, it comes down to what happens on the feet, because we know Breeze with those long punches, you know, he's kind of smooth with his boxing, but he also didn't get tagged at all his last fight. So he was, he was a... He was able to go out there and front run. Well, I'll tell you someone who is going to tag him, win or lose, and that's Ian Heinish. He's going to get in his face. He's going to throw big bombs, going to try to mix in the takedowns. And I think that Heinish wins this fight contingent on him making it a dogfight. If this is a pretty fight where Breeze has his range and is able to get off on his long strikes and there's not much resistance, then Breeze will go on and win. But if this is a dirty, gritty, bloody dogfight, I got Heinish all day, and I will take him here for the upset.
Next up in the 205-pound division, we got Saperbeg Safarov. He's 8-2, and two, and Nick Negumiranu is 9-0. and oh. And uh, Shaq, currently they got Nick, or Nikolai, the new guy. He's minus 175, and my boy Saperbeg Safarov is plus 155. So real quick, just a little history lesson. So Nick's last two fights, he beat a 10-13 and 13 guy. And a two and fifteen guy, so I mean he's a he's a can crusher, but I mean the guy's fit, he's athletic, he's handled those cans exactly how you're supposed to. Now he's taking on a Russian with O V as the last two letters of his last name. I gotta know who you got. For, for an O V that has losses to John Volante and uh, Tyson Pedro. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think uh, uh, Nick Nikolai or whatever his name is. You know, of course he's hasn't really fought anybody, hasn't beaten anybody, but definitely. Safarov, I guess, will be his toughest opponent for a few minutes, but Safarov's got an unstable leg. I mean, if you watch this guy's two fights, he's hobbling on one leg, literally. Like, So, I mean, he definitely swings hard. He's Russian. He's got that Russian power, but he's got one leg. So, I got I got Nick. Chaz, you going with Nikolai or with Safarov? Man, listen, uh, I, I, I wanted... I like Safarov. You know, I haven't been impressed with him inside the UFC, but I like the guy. I mean, he's exciting. He's ugly. He's <laughs> ugly. And I like that in a fighter. I like a goofy looking fighter. You know, I don't like root for these pretty muscled up guys. <laughs> get all the sponsorship deals and look good in the clothes. And uh, if you took him to a club, they'd get the ladies. I don't like that. I like a guy like Safarov. He's a fucking goofy looking dude that. You know he's not going to take your clothing sponsorships and not going to take your women at the club. Type of guy I like to root for. I'm not going to lie to you. But this dude he's fighting, like when I watch him, I'm like, man, I just feel like Safarov should be the better guy striking. But I also feel like Safarov is really going to play right into this guy's game. When I watch his previous fights, I see a dude that swings wild, but when he connects, he hits really hard. And, and he's dropping people. And when he gets on top, I mean, he's submitting everybody. I mean, yeah, they suck. They're dudes that are terrible. But he obviously has something going on on the ground. I just can't trust Safarov. I, I'm sorry. I just, I want to. Like, trust me, I want to. And, man, you know, if he wins, I'll be super happy for him. But I, I got to say, I, I can't trust him. I'm, I'm going to, I'm picking against him. Uh, I hope he does pull it out, but I just can't. I can't. I could see him getting tagged, getting tagged and maybe hurt a little bit on that wobbly leg. And then, and then, uh, and then getting submitted. Yeah, I'm going to probably have to go with uh, Nikolai as well. Listen, I'd also love to pick Safarov. Obviously, that fight with Volante was super exciting. He came right at Tyson Pedro. And even back on the regional scene, there was a fight where at the weigh-ins, you know, uh, him, and, him and his opponent are uh, face-to-face. And, you know, he gives his opponent a little... A little small slap on the cheek. His opponent returns one back. And then fucking Safarov slaps him like fucking trying to knock him out with the slap. It was was pretty amazing. This is at the weigh-in stare-down. And now here against Nikolai. I mean, look, Nikolai has only fought fought complete trash cans. But he handled them accordingly. And we're talking about this was like the kind of jokes where... 
like he's he's locking in rear naked chokes and there's only one arm under the chin like he hasn't connected to the bicep he's not going you know cable grip like the shit like it (laughs) you even put any resistance on these bums and they're already tapping out like with their legs you know what i'm saying so it it was those kind of level bums but hey he still destroyed them and one thing i do like about him one big weapon i have noticed is the guy loves firing that leg kick and that's going to be a big weapon here against sapperbeck who's only got one one leg man go out there kick that damaged knee and make him hobble, man, and from there start to tee off. So if Safarov had two legs, I'd pick him. I mean, he's an ob. He's Russian, man. you got to go with the Russian Warriors, but I think that he's a little bit diminished here, and for that reason, I will go with Nikolai. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Irish Joe Duffy, or as we like to say in Canada, we got Canadian Joe Duffy. He's 16-3, and and Mark DeCasey, the bone crusher, is 12 and 3. Well, lately the bone crusher, he's been getting crushed, but I gotta know, man. Uh, off a three fight skid, you know his back's up against the wall. You know this guy's motivated. You know he knows this is his last chance. And with Duffy, we haven't seen him since he fought James Vick. Just to put that in context, GSP fought more recently than Joe Duffy. Yeah, Mark DeCasey's back is against the wall. This is it for him against London or uh, Irish Joe Duffy. Canadian Joe. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Joseph Duffy, last fight we, against James Vick, you know, going into that fight, people were saying things like, there's no way James Vick doesn't get knocked out. Uh, and, I mean, Duffy ended up being knocked out. Uh, we haven't seen him since. I think he had a couple of injuries. He was supposed to fight Ismagulov. He uh, pulled out of that fight, and then now he's getting to Casey. Um, the Casey, I think, was just one of those typical cases of, too much given to him too soon. Too much hype. I mean, the guy had been absolutely <laughs> he had been absolutely nobody. You know, he had the he thought he was black Dan Hardy with the with the red <laughs> mohawk, and you know, uh, I think uh, you know when you look at his opponents, he fought Timu Pakalin. He was one to one with Frankie Perez going into the uh, third round, and he had to scrape that one. He beat Lutlin, Lucas Sayeski, you know, guys. If I look at all their combined UFC records, it's well under 500. So, And, you know, when he got that step up against a, a, a prospect on his level in Jakar, his, his, uh, his calves, gave out of him, uh, calves gave out on him. And, you know, he showed hard in that. There's no shame in losing to a top prospect, especially like Jakar. But then, you know, it's just been consistent decline ever since. You know, after that fight, he fought Hooker, where he was the favorite in that fight as well. We were thinking uh, Hooker, well, he's still unproven at 55. So let's give him a top prospect like the Casey just coming off a split. And the entire time, he was getting picked apart. Then he ended up uh, shooting into a takedown and getting tapped out. And he tapped right away. And then his next fight against Nashrat Hakkaras, he was the favorite again against an inexperienced kid that just lost to Marcin Held. And it was another, you know, decline from the last performance. And he got broken from the first round all the way through this time. Uh, I know Nasha's definitely got a lot more pressure than Joseph Duffy, but uh, it's been consistent decline with uh, DeCasey. Now, Joe Duffy, I think, is uh, another uh, case of complete hype machine. You know, uh, his two his two big tests against Dustin Poirier and James Vick, he failed miserably. So that just lets you know he's not on that level. And uh, his wins are against absolutely nobody. Mitch Clark, Batman George. Uh, the librarian Lindsay, Jake librarian Lindsay. He's been absolutely nobody. Uh, and reason my daddy, like I said, he's been absolutely nobody. So, you know, I, I, I do think these guys, uh, he, he beat Conor McGregor. <laughs> 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 that, is, that is true. But, uh, you know, <laughs> in under a minute. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> we beat Conor McGregor. Conor's been tapping for a long time, man. <laughs> but uh, Joseph Duffy, you know, I do think these guys are actually on a on a fairly even playing field. You know, I think both of these guys were just uh, big hype machines. Uh, you know, the the key to beating the Casey seems like a lot of pressure. Joseph Duffy does have good boxing, and we kind of seen Hooker kind of use a similar strategy with the jab and kind of flush her dis- uh, the Casey with that long rangy movement. But one thing Hooker and Duffy uh, have that's a little bit different is just their chin. You know, Hooker has a very good chin, and I question Duffy's chin. You know, I think uh, even though he's only been knocked out one time against uh, James Vick, in that Dustin Poirier fight, he got real nervous. He used all his energy in those boxing combinations early, and then he completely gassed out. And then the James Vick fight, you know, he got knocked out in the second round. I know that's a, a, a 6-3 guy, but... I'm, I'm, I might not necessarily have the, the, the facts to say he has a bad chin, but, uh, you know, I, I could see the potential for him, you know, in the future getting knocked out more times. Now, DeCasey, I think, has a, a fairly good chin. Uh, it's just DeCasey, to beat him, you need that constant pressure. You need uh, to, you know, have an answer for his wrestling. And uh, if you do that, you're generally going to beat him. Does Duffy have the answer to his wrestling? He's been taken down before. He's been taken down by Riza Madadi. He's been taken down by Dustin Poirier. He's... Uh, Ivan the Terrible. Ivan George. Uh, no, I, Ivan Mercado yeah. took him down, uh, tapped him out. So, you know, DeCasey has a path to victory. Kyle Watson. Uh, ex- exactly. And uh, Kyle Watson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Duffy's had some suspect moments on that map, man. So, you know, I don't think DeCasey necessarily has the jujitsu to tap him out, but maybe he gets a couple extra takedowns. But, uh, man, it's such a tough fight to call. I think DeCasey is 100% live, but I'm just going to pick Duffy just because I have a feeling uh, <laughs> you're going to pick DeCasey. But uh, I just think that I don't trust either guy at first. I think both guys long-term are done. I just think that maybe Duffy throws the more punches. The Casey's a little more timid if the fight progresses, you know, starts thinking a little bit more like he's been doing these uh, last few fights. I think the Casey could catch him with a shot or possibly take him down. But I, I just slightly lean Duffy, but very slightly. I don't trust either guy. Chaz, look, DeCasey is undefeated in the UK, but as you know, three fights good, man. His back's up against the wall. He desperately needs this win. Joe Duffy's been talking retirement, but one could argue he has the better skills here. So, tough fight, man. Who you got? Um, man, you know, I could see this going one of two ways. Like, for me, I think, you know, DeCasey's, uh, the much more athletic guy. He's a very athletic guy. I hope that he's evolved because, you know, he, he was relying a lot on his athleticism and, and, uh, he kind of got in his last few fights, he really got exposed. You know, I mean, he got, he got frustrated. The pressure was just too much for him. I felt, I feel like he's a really good, uh, hammer, and just not such a good nail, per se. So, to me, and I didn't even watch tape on this one. I, I just, I look at this fight as, I think Duffy's the tougher customer. I think Duffy is going to put some pressure on him. And I actually think that if it goes to the mat, Duffy has the way better jiu-jitsu. I mean, Duffy's jiu-jitsu is not bad. I mean, this guy's, I mean he, he, his grappling's not bad. And uh, maybe uh, Casey's got the better wrestling and maybe he can get the takedowns. I just, I don't see him. um, I think that if he, he can come out and and really tag Duffy up in the first round and, and get him out of there, 
that's one thing. But if he doesn't get him out of there in the first round, I don't see him winning the fight. And I, I think Duffy's going to come back, put some pressure on him, and probably win the next two rounds. I'm going to take Duffy. Vic said the exact same thing to me. He said that if the Casey doesn't get him out in the first round, uh, Duffy's going to take over. I can see where you guys are coming from for sure. But my whole thing is, yeah, you guys make a good point because we saw DeCasey get broken in the later rounds, his last few fights, to an extent. Against Drakkar, it was 2-0. Drakkar going to the third. It was DeCasey who won the third round. But, man, against Hooker, it was it was 2 nothing Hooker. And, you know, obviously DeCasey shot that takedown. And it was over shortly after. But here with Duffy, I don't feel like Duffy is the kind of guy that comes back from, you know, that has a lot of comeback wins. Like this guy we're going to talk about, Arnold Allen, here in a little bit. I feel like Joseph Duffy, everything has to be going perfectly for him. And to an extent, I can say that about DeCasey, but I want to go back to an example that I've mentioned so many times when we've broken down DeCasey fights in the past. And maybe it's irrelevant at this point, but maybe it's a sign of things to come in the future. Because in the past, in that fight with Frankie Perez, and, you know, on one hand, you can view it as, well, Frankie Perez is a bum. Why was it 1-1 going into the third? And you might have a fair point, but what I'm trying to get at is it was 1-1 heading to the third round. He had to make that choice, and he did make that choice. He got those takedowns to seal off the round and win that 29-28. So the fact that he had that urgency and those instincts back then, I know he's fallen on some really tough matchups, kind of gives me a little hope that he might be able to do that here if this fight is close. Now, when the fight first starts, I do think Joe Duffy's going to light him up because in the first uh, couple minutes of any Joe Duffy fight, I mean, the guy's got an advantage. His boxing is serious. He's got good speed, good accuracy, even against Dustin the Diamond Poirier. But what was interesting about that fight, and this is something that we see with a lot of guys that have success on the regional scene, then they come to the UFC. You hit someone on the regional scene with your hardest shot, and sometimes the fight might be over right then and there. So even early UFC fights for Joe Duffy, you know, he hits Jake Lindsay one time and the fight's over, right? Well, he hits Dustin Poirier with his hardest shot and Dustin Poirier is still coming forward. Well, all of a sudden, the mindset and the psychology of Joe Duffy completely changes. So I want to see if he hits DeCasey as hard as he can and DeCasey's still walking forward, what's going to happen then? And I do think that if that happens, that DeCasey can take over in the second and third round and just simply because he wants it more, man. He's not the more skilled guy here. We've established that. Joe Duffy's got the better skills. But sometimes sometimes it's not the skill of the man. Sometimes it's the will of the man. And I know three fights in a row on that skid, he loses his fight. He's out the UFC. Whereas Duffy, he's got a little room. He's got a little a little wiggle room. You know, he can lose this fight. It'll only be a two-fight skid. They'll still give him one more. But with DeCasey, it's win or go find another job. And that has to be serious motivation for DeCasey. So for that reason... I'm going to ever so slightly pick Mark DeCasey to grind this one out against Joseph Duffy. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Arnold Allen. He's 13-1, and and Jordan Rinaldi is 14-6. and And currently, they got Arnold Allen minus 140. The comeback on Jordan Rinaldi is plus 120. Chaz, this is your weight class, man. These are two very exciting guys. Obviously, with Arnold Allen, he's undefeated in the UFC at 4-0. And with Jordan Rinaldi, he had a career resurgence dropping the featherweight. You saw that performance he had against Jason Knight. So now I got to know, man, who you got, Allen or Rinaldi? Um, you know, it's kind of weird because uh, I, I actually like Rinaldi here. I, I think... I think that Rinaldi showed like really good takedowns, really good control in the uh, Jason Knight fight. I feel like Arnold Allen was absolutely losing the Mads Brunel. I, I, you know, he got that guillotine in the third, but 
Um, I think that Ronaldo's going to be smart here. I think that he's going to keep his head out of the hole there because Arnold Allen has caught caught a few people with that with that guillotine. And I actually, I honestly think that Jordan Ronaldo is going to take him down and and grind out a win here on the top. Shaq. Obviously, very intriguing matchup. We mentioned many times that we wanted Jordan Rinaldi to finally get over that hump. Well, guess what? He did get over that hump. And now this is his second prelim main event in a row, taking on the very tough Arnold Allen. What's your opinion? Man, Jordan Jordan Rinaldi looked really good his last fight. I mean, that was a 30-25 performance. He dominated every second of that fight. And one thing I liked about that fight is in the past, you know, people's always question Ronaldo's mental game. Well, he had his opportunity to check out in that third round. And I mean, he took him right back down and uh, he dominated uh, Jason Knight, man. That was very impressive as a big underdog too. He was like a two to one underdog, I think he was. So that was very impressive. Uh, Arnold Allen, how I see them matching up. <laughs> one thing that's clear about Arnold Allen is he gets taken down in every single fight. And Kind of at will, man. I mean, he doesn't really seem to fight the takedowns too much. It uh, seems like he likes to rely uh, with his jiu-jitsu off his back and just keep making guys work uh, and then, you know, capitalizing when he gets back up to the feet. I think that in this matchup, it's kind of a grappler versus striker. Uh, a striker with a little bit of jiu-jitsu. You know, I think, uh, think Renaldi has a clear path to advantage. So Renaldi's definitely live. I mean... He can definitely come out here, get some takedowns, win two two out of three rounds, and win this decision. Like I said, how many times has uh, Arnold Allen been taken down? Twelve times. He's been taken down twelve times in his UFC career. So there's there's one thing that's gonna happen here. Jordan Ronaldi will take him down. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so I think if Ronaldi, like Chad said, if he comes out here and plays this smart and just maneuvers enough on the feet to buy time to get another takedown, because like we said, it doesn't seem like Allen has doesn't seem like he wants to even fight the takedown. So I think that Rinaldi has a clear path to victory. I'm just a little worried that if Allen's, uh, his jiu-jitsu can maybe nullify a little bit and maybe if he can get back up to his feet, what's going to happen there? Because he is the, the clearly better striker, in my opinion. You know, I think he's got great ones and twos, and I think uh, Rinaldi's weaknesses are striking. You know, He's not a striker at all. He's, he's a grappler. So I think if he somehow can get Rinaldi back out on the feet after using a lot of energy with the grappling, kind of similar to the Ige and Henry matchup. Not saying that Ronaldo has bad cardio, but I think Allen might have the possibility to the, to hurt him on the feet, you know, and capitalize. Kind of seem, not like uh, Mads Brunel, but Mads Brunel wanted no parts of the stand-up with, uh, with uh, Arnold Allen. But I think this is a very closely matched fight. I think Ronaldo's a very live dog, but I just slightly still lean Arnold Allen to take advantage of his opportunity when he gets it back to the feet. And, uh, Get a get a late finish, but I think Ronaldo made the the right move to move uh, moving down to 145. He's huge at 145, and I wouldn't be shocked at all if he came out here and won a, a close decision. Man, I cannot wait for this fight. Obviously, a very intriguing matchup in the featherweight division. Jordan Ronaldo, a guy that I've been very familiar with for a long time. Obviously, mentioned to you guys since his UFC debut. I saw him fight in the NFC against a UFC veteran Clay Harbison. After he choked him out, I walked right up to Jordan Rinaldi. I said, "Be expecting a call from the UFC within the next six months." Well, within the next six months, he got that UFC call. Goes out there against Abel Trujillo, one to one, heading into the third round. Unfortunately, he lost the third round. Next fight goes out there against Alvaro Herrera, handles him exactly how you're supposed to, which is don't even make this a close fight. Just blow this guy out the water in the first round. That's exactly what Rinaldi did. Took care of him accordingly. And by the way. Uh, Alvaro made it past the first round with Vicente, just to let you know. But Ronaldo took care of him in under two minutes. Then uh, the next fight, you know, kind of got set up a little bit against Gregor Gillespie. But 
For some fighters, that Gregor Gillespie fight, especially how it went down, that could have been a moment where he said, you know what, man? I had a good run. I made it to the UFC. You can tell your friends. I'm a UFC vet. I even won one fight in the UFC. I even became the third man in UFC history to win a fight via Von Fluchokes. That, that's what he's accomplished already. He could have packed it in. But you know what Jordan Rinaldi did? He said, you know what, man? I'm going to get over that hump. He drops a weight class. Now, all of a sudden, he's one of the bigger men at featherweight. And in that fight with Jason Knight, because, you know, now it's easy to talk about how after that Lamas fight that Jason Knight kind of, you know, he, he got caught up in the lifestyle and all that shit. But the reality is that going into that fight with Rinaldi, I mean, a lot of people were saying that Knight's too tough for Rinaldi. Also, the fight with Makwan Amirkani, even though it was a loss for Knight, a lot of people thought Knight might have won. He dropped Makwan Amirkani twice in that fight. Well, there was zero dropping Jordan Rinaldi. There was zero offense against Jordan Rinaldi. It was a complete shutout from pillar to post. And there were even times on the feet where Rinaldi landed a nice left hook. And I was like, damn, this guy's been putting in work. And I've actually seen Rinaldi in the practice room before. I've seen him spar with some of the best guys here in Georgia, Jared Good and Robert Hale. Rinaldi's been putting in work. And what I like about this kid, Arnold Allen, is his tenacity, is the spirit that he fights with. And the fact that it's never over until it's over with a guy like Arnold Allen. Because I, you've seen all his comeback wins. You saw the Allen Omer win. You saw the Mads Burnell win. The guy has a knack for the comeback. Even that Makwan Amir Khani fight was up in the air. And he was able to go out there and seal it off. But man, he's definitely got a weakness with the takedown defense. Like you mentioned, he doesn't even try to fight those takedowns. He's been taken down 12 times inside the octagon. That's credit to his confidence with his scrambling ability, his jujitsu, his get-up game. And he just feels like he can go out there and knock anyone out. So on the feet, Jordan has to be super careful. He's got to maneuver around. Don't get into any unnecessary exchanges. But when Allen comes forward, that's when you duck under, take him to the mat. And Allen is going to be able to get back up from a couple of these takedowns. But Renati can't get discouraged. He's got to stay on that grind. And I think if he does, he can go out here and get his second UFC win in a row and start to let people know that, hey, Jordan Renati is a new man at Featherweight. He has gone over the hump. And I think he gets another UFC win here. Hey guys, Dan here. Just wanted to remind you that Kyle Marley's bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. As you know, he's in the midst of a 200-unit run, and at UFC 235, he won 30 units on that card alone. And with Kyle Marley, he's not doing one unit equals 1% of your bankroll. He's doing one unit equals $100. So he won uh, three grand that night at UFC 235. Faced a little roadblock on this Lewis for JDS car, but now he's got a 10-unit play this weekend at UFC London. He's going to win big and uh, continue the long-term winning ways. Make sure you go to bestfightpicks.com to get Kyle Marley's plays and his DraftKings write-ups. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Jack Marshman. He's 22-8, and eight, and John Phillips is 21-8. and eight. And currently, they got Jack Marshman, minus 165. The comeback on John Phillips is plus 145. Shaq, it's an interesting fight because the two times we've seen John Phillips inside the octagon, he has gotten choked out. Now, interestingly enough, Jack Marshman has never shot for a takedown in all of his UFC fights. So, this might kind of give John Phillips the fight he wants. What do you think? Yeah. You know, uh, I think pretty much a lot of people are looking at it from the angle, or if, if the angle, what if uh, Marshman shoots? But considering Phillips's two UFC fights against Bird and Holland, I think he made improvements uh, in between that. You know, Bird is a little bit more hell bent on the grappling exchanges than uh, Kevin Holland, and uh, 
you know, Birdie got completely dominated for sure. And then uh, his fight against Kevin Holland, I mean, Holland was on his back before that tap out, like, a couple times. And uh, he got he got out of it. He got out of an armbar, a triangle, man. I thought he made improvements in his uh, jiu-jitsu, so I think he actually is taking it seriously, man. So, you know, I think Marshman, on the other hand, is on the decline. You know, I think Marshman is pretty much that... That fan entertaining, uh, one dimensional, uh, big puncher, man. We know what Marshman's gonna come with. He's gonna swing bombs and well, against these guys that he's been fighting, you know, uh, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna work out. It's he's just too easy uh to game plan for. We saw Carlos Jr. take him right down, you know, it's same thing with Marshman and Phillips. You know, you take Marshman down, that's pretty much it. In this particular matchup, when I look at both guys' strengths, I see it being a stand up fight and I see John Phillips uh, just being the better guy in in their uh, strength. You know, I think John Phillips has the better chin of the two. I think he uh, has the big presence of the two. I think he can kind of close the distance on uh, Jack Marshman and just start exchanging. I think he's got the better power. You know, I think Marshman has good power, but I think John Phillips just has a, just better power. You know, I think uh, when he hits guys on the chin, I think they really feel... I mean, Kevin Holland's eyes rolled back in that fight. He uh, was looking off to his corner in that fight. I mean, he even told uh, Phillips, I had to take you down. So, you know, I think Phillips is just a better power puncher. I think this fight's going to be fairly done quickly, I think, within the first round. I think uh, they're just going to see who the better man is, and I think Phillip is, Phillips is just a better guy when it comes to knocking people out. Chas Kelly, uh, Kevin Holland's been in there with a guy like Tiago Maheda Santos, and he said that John Phillips is the hardest he's ever been hit in a fight ever. So I, I got to know, man, are you going with Jack Marshman or John Phillips? This fight's just like a dogger pass for me. I mean, I can't give anybody advice on either one of these guys of who to pick. I, I, like, I would take Phillips based on... Only on the fact that I don't think Marshman's going to go for a takedown. Phillips has a terrible ground game. Um, and Marshman's never shot for a takedown. Phillips hits like a truck. But if you see that and you realize that, you have to think to yourself, I should just go out there and take this guy down because he's awful on the ground. So you have to think that unless Marshman in his corner – just don't want to win that they're going to go out there and look for a takedown. Um, but I mean, having said that also I've trained with Charles bird and Charles actually has pretty good wrestling and jujitsu. Like, I mean, he's, he's no slouch for sure. He's a strong dude and he's got, he's got good wrestling. He's got, he's got a uh, good body locks and stuff. He's got good jujitsu. Kevin Holland, I've never trained with him, but he's also from the DFW area. And I've heard people say that he's uh, very talented on the ground. So, you know, it's not like he was fighting two guys that don't know what they're doing on the ground. So just for the sake of picking somebody, and I have to go dog or pass, I'm going to go Phillips, just because I think that uh, Marshman probably isn't going to shoot a takedown, and Phillips is probably going to knock him out. Yeah, I mean, look, you bring up good points. I feel like if you're picking someone to beat Phillips, you need someone that's going to get this fight to the mat right away. So you look at Jack Marshman. Well, five UFC fights, over 50 minutes of UFC fight footage. Hasn't shot for a single takedown. We know what Marshman likes to do. He likes to go in there, stand and bang with guys. Now, when you're talking about a guy like John Phillips, 
On the regional scene, they used to call him the Welsh Wrecking Machine. They used to call him the White Mike Tyson. And the reason why is because he has 25 first-round finishes. Now, it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, well, all you got to do is take this guy down or get past the first round. And, yeah, if you're Kevin Holland, if you're Charles Bird, guys who do have grappling backgrounds, by all means. But a guy like Jack Marshman, who... He likes to stand and trade. Look, this is the one fight on the card where these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. The, the thing here is that Phillips has a better chin and he hits harder. So for that reason, I think that John Phillips is going to hand Jack Marshman his fifth knockout loss. And I will pick John Phillips here to get his first UFC win. Now, next up in the welterweight division, Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. He's 16-3 and three and Claudio... Hannibal Silva is 12 and 1. Between you and me is 13 and 0 because his one loss was a DQ. So that being said, Claudio Silva is minus 145. The comeback on Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts is plus 125. Chaz, I'm gonna let you go first, man. I mean, Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts is your teammate. You know this guy firsthand. Give us the inside info, my man. Yeah, so I've got two teammates on this card, uh, Vulcan and Danny. You know, I'm not gonna. You know, obviously, you know who I'm going with. I got to go with my teammate. So that's a no-brainer. But I'll give you a little breakdown of what I think that, that has to happen in order for them to win. You know, I, you look at a guy like uh, Claudio, and you see him, and he goes out there, and he's sloppy. Uh, his striking is very sloppy. His entries on his takedowns are awful. And uh, he's a little plotty. He's a little slow. But one thing that he is good at, he's very sticky. So um, you don't have to have the best entries to takedowns. You have to have good finishes. He has good finishes. He, it's, it's crazy. He grab your leg, and he looks so awful getting into a shot, but then he runs the pipe really well, and he, he switches off to a double, and he, he actually will just drag you to the ground. And once you get to the ground, he has great jiu-jitsu. He has good good shoulder pressure. He gets on your back and, and, you know, he has great chokes. So that being said, uh, you know, Danny is a very athletic dude. He hits hard as fuck. I mean, he really does. He hits hard, man. I, you know, I go with him sometimes and, and just going with him. He really, really, really does hit hard and he's very quick. He's very athletic. You know, he has good takedown defense. I think Danny can really, really, really win this fight out there. He's got to go out there. He's got to stay moving. He's got to keep his feet moving. He's got to keep his jab on this guy, and he's got to he's got to really throw those straight punches. Don't get caught up in that that brawling exchange because what this guy wants to do is he wants to throw some looping overhands. He wants to brawl and he wants to dive at your legs. And once he grabs your legs, he wants to just crawl up and leech on you and and drag you to the ground. I do believe that Danny can stay away from that. He's very athletic. He's very quick. And I think that that's going to be a huge advantage for him in this fight with a guy that's uh, very plotty, not, not, not very athletic. I think Danny's just got to, got to stick with the game plan, stick and move, just stick and move. And I think he wins this fight. Well, Shaq, obviously Chas Kelly broke it down very well. We know Danny Hot Chocolate hits like a fucking truck, but we also know Claudio Silva gets on top of you one time. The fight might be over shortly after. So are you going with, in this case, the striker or the grappler? Yeah, that's a that's a big factor in this fight because Chaz, uh, he said some really good points there. You know, I feel like Claudio Silva is always going to be one of these hard guys to gauge because... I mean, like Chess said, he looks awful and he makes so many errors in a lot of things that he does. It's like one of these days he's going to get absolutely knocked out, caught, and embarrassed. 
It's just that, like you just said, if he gets the fight on the mat one time, <laughs> that might be over. So I feel like, like Chad said, him swinging those wild, loopy punches is all a trick, you know, kind of like Haniaya or, uh, you know, it's all a trick just to get you to react wildly so he could uh, get on your legs. And that's just a hard uh, thing to gauge in this fight because I feel like Hot Chocolate does have the power to take him out with one shot if he makes that glaring mistake like he tends to do in a lot of his fights. Uh, turning the wrong way, like with like the Brad Scott fight where he's, you know, uh, completely looking for ways out, man. So I feel like Hot Chocolate is live, but it's just so hard to gauge because Claudio Silva's not a first-degree black belt, not a second-degree black belt. He's a third-degree black belt, man. Like like kind of what we saw with uh, Carlos Diego and uh, Rustam the other day at the end of that first round. If there was 10 more seconds left, uh, Two more like seconds. That, that's what those third-degree guys, uh, that's what they do. And we saw the Nordine fight, man. I mean, well, firstly, Nordine could have got up, but he went for the TriStar leg lock <laughs> instead. And... Uh, once you did that, that was... Once you go for that TriStar leg lock. You know, so I, I feel like Hot uh, hot Chocolate's mental game, man. Hot Chocolate's got some of the best heart, man. He fights with so much spirit in all of his fights, win or lose. Um, you know, the, the issue out there in Hot Chocolate is that people think that he has a bad chin. But, you know, I feel like if you get caught with a Nordine head kick in the first, you know... Uh, 30 seconds of the fight. I mean, that might. I mean, you saw what Nordine did to Strickland that first round. He was winning that first. He's got. He's got a very he kicks good first fucking round. hard. Yeah, he kicks very hard. Um, and then they fought a gorilla, Dominique uh, T. Still, man, that guy is really big. I felt like he was outsized in that fight. And I mean, Hot Chocolate's heart won uh one of those fights. So, you know, I feel like Hot Chocolate is a very live underdog. I'm actually gonna take. I'm actually taking for the upset. I think uh, that uh, Claudio Silva is gonna have his moments here early. Maybe wobble him. Maybe kind of have him down but i feel like uh he's gonna make that one glaring mistake in his striking like chaz was saying and uh get knocked out i mean that's obviously a possibility no doubt about this i mean this stays standing for more than a couple minutes and danny hot chocolate will knock out claudio silva but that being said man this guy claudio silva it's not a matter <laughs> of if he gets on top of you just just <laughs> it's not just survive until the <laughs> next round and, and the next round starts on the feet it's pretty much if he gets on top of you, the fight's over because you saw that mount he had on Nordine and those vicious elbows he was landing. Man, that ground and pound, like we talked about his jiu-jitsu. What about his ground and pound, man? He's so nasty with it. And we're already talking about a resume where he beat Leon Edwards before Leon Edwards' big win streak. He beat Brad Scotch back before Brad Scotch was doing cocaine and octagon fights. He fucking went out there and finished Nordine Taleb in the very first round. So Claudio Silva, man. He's a he's the original Brazilian weasel, man. He fucking makes that shit work. And uh, listen, I'm gonna be rooting for Danny Hot Chocolate. You know, it's your teammate, Chaz. I, I hope he goes out there and wins. But fuck that jujitsu really scares me. I'm gonna lean with Vegas on this one. I'm gonna go with Claudio Silva via submission. Now, next up in the bantamweight division, we got Nathaniel Wood. He's 15 and three, and Jose Alberto Quinones, or as we like to say, in Mexico Teco, is seven and two, and Currently, they got Nathaniel Wood minus 325. The comeback on Jose Teco Quinones is plus 265. Now, what's interesting, Shaq, is that Nathaniel Wood was pick him against Andre Uhl. Now he's a massive favorite against Teco Quinones. What's your opinion? Yeah, I think Nathaniel Wood's one of the top prospects at Bantamweight. I think uh, Jose Teco Quinones has a, a good style to beat these low-level guys like Diego Rivas and Teruto Ishihara, you know, with his footwork, his good cardio. Uh, he's a solid point fighter. He definitely knows how to strategize and win decisions. I don't think he has any finishes uh, in the UFC. 
And uh, Nathaniel Wood, I just think, is the better overall guy, man. I think he's got more power. And one thing about Jose that a lot of people don't know is he's extremely chinny. I mean, we saw it in the Teruto fight, but... Just type, in, just, just type in Davi Ramos versus uh, Jose Quinones. This is a fight back at lightweight. I don't know why he was fighting. If you want to know the origins of that chin. Davi Ramos like landed how many hammer fists to his oh, chin? Man, flush? It, it was like, devastating. <laughs> Jose, I don't want to say he's in big trouble here, but he's in big trouble here. I think Wood's... Uh, I think Wood's serious, man. I think he's got a bright future. Uh, I think he's focused. I think uh, at some point he will touch that chin of Jose Quinones and either uh, tap him out with a rear naked choke shortly after or uh, just 30-26, you know? Chaz, both of these guys have been very impressive. Obviously, Nathaniel Wood's 2-0 and in the UFC. Jose is, I believe, 4-1 and in the UFC. So, shit, man. Uh, who do you think takes the next uh, step? I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, when I watch this, when I look at these two guys, and I don't mean any disrespect because I think, I think Jose has been doing really well for himself. I think he's on the tear right now. But I just I see two guys that, in my opinion, are just uh, at different levels right now. I think I like the, the way that Woods uh, really mixes it up. He's, he's got good striking. He's got, he's got good submissions. Um, God, man, I really can see exact, pretty much what Jack said. You know, either him catching – Jose, uh, pretty fairly early in the fight, or even if he does just get the takedown, submitting him, I, I, I really think it's uh, Woods is going to take this like pretty early. Yeah, Woods definitely impressed me. A lot of people gave him a lot of shit because he took a lot of punches in that Johnny Eduardo fight. To me, I was like, dude, Johnny Eduardo hits like a truck. I mean, you see what Johnny Eduardo did to Eddie Wineland's chin? So the fact that Nathaniel Wood ate those shots, came back, finished the fight, then the very next one he had a clean performance against Andre Uhl. And Nathaniel Wood's not a guy who you know needs to sit here and get a little seasoning because on this Cage Warriors uh, run, he was as tested as they get, man. I mean, there were fights where it looked like he was out, and then he went back and knocked the guy out. You guys remember that fucking insane one-round fight he had in Cage Warriors. Go back and check that out. So Nathaniel Wood's been putting in work. I like Teco too, man. I mean, look, Teco's a fun Mexican to fight. He, uh, he to watch fight. He's got a lot of spirit. He tries to kind of be the Mexican dominant Cruz. He faints a lot. He uses his footwork. And if you're not quite on his level, he will go out there and he will style on you. But unfortunately for him, Wood is not only on his level. Wood has surpassed his level. I think Wood comes out here and gets a highlight reel knockout in the first round. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Dominic Reyes. He's 10-0. And, and Volkan No Time Uzdemir is 15-3. and Well, Chaz, you mentioned earlier on the show that Volkan Uzdemir is a teammate of yours. Unfortunately for this camp, he wasn't able to do it in Florida. I believe he did it in his home country of Switzerland. Regardless, mm -hmm. what's your perspective on this fight? Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Uh, I, I'm really high on Dominic Reyes. I, I really like the guy. I mean, gosh, he, he's definitely, in my opinion, well, there's three huge prospects. Three young guys that are huge prospects, and he's one of them. I think he's the best of them, of the three. Uh, Who are the three? Johnny Walker? Jim Crew uh, and Dominic, no, not Rakic, yeah, Rakic and uh, Reyes. So is the third yeah. uh, Johnny Walker. Walker? Yeah, Walker. Okay, okay. Showing my boy some yeah. love. So, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where uh, Vulcan can't. He can't wait. You know, he can't wait around. He can't over Saint Pruitt because. 
man, that guy looked good against Evan St. Pru. I mean, he looked good. Like, he came out there and really picked him apart. And, man, I can't even think of a – and I think I was drinking during that fight, but I can't think of a second where I thought Evan St. Pru was winning the fight. That's because there wasn't a second that he was winning. Yeah. Maybe maybe in the third round, but, you know, aside from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy looked good, man. He's very impressive. He's he's a very impressive guy, but having said that, there's not a lot of people with that power that uh, Vulcan has. I mean, he, he knocks people out with just fucking short hooks from a clinch, you know, and knocks them dead. So, uh, you know, I'd like to see Vulcan go out there and be first and stay in his face, man. Like, don't let him be pretty. Don't make it a pretty fight. Go out there and really stay in his face and really pressure him and make him fucking brawl you, you know? And obviously for Reyes, you know, he, I think that, uh, Reyes is going to want to, you know, stay at distance, use his length and, and stay pretty and, uh, and just also be first, but be first with the longer, you know, jabs and, and keep kicks and things of that nature. But I hope, uh, I hope Vulcan comes out and really, uh, closes the gap and, and pressures him and makes the guy fight. So I forgot to mention the odds. Currently, they got Dominic Reyes minus two sixty five. The comeback on Volkan Uznamir is plus two twenty five. Now, one thing going in Volkan's favor, Shaq, is that he's already in Europe, so he's not going to be dealing with the same jet lag as Dominic Reyes. Do you think that could possibly aid him to victory here? I think Volkan Uznamir had a had a great run at two hundred five with those KOs of uh, Misha Serkinov and uh, Jimmy Manoa in less than what. A minute, both of them. And then uh, I think he just got kind of rushed up in that title fight with DC. I, pr- I think he probably needed, like, one more fight. But, hey, when opportunity calls, you got to take it. And then his fight with Anthony Smith, I also thought going into that fight that that was just a bad matchup for him. Just considering, you know, Volkan historically is a guy that likes to get people out of there in that first round with a big punch. And uh, Anthony's a guy that all most of his wins are, you know, the comeback style of wins. You know, uh, historically, if you look at Volkan's resume, if you get him out that first round, generally people have a lot of success. So, like uh, Chaz was saying, I think Reyes is a good prospect at uh, 205. I think that if he plays this smart and avoids that one big uh, punch from Ozdemir in the early rounds, I think that uh, he could either coast to a decision or possibly get a late finish, uh, kind of similar like the OSP fight. You know, I think Ozdemir... Uh, has a, definitely a puncher's chance, but I think Reyes is going to win this fight, hands down. Though. I'm going to agree with you as well, man, because even though I respect what Ozdemir did, I mean, coming in there on short notice against OSP and not just not just taking the fight, but winning the fight was very impressive. And then obviously he was a big underdog to Misha Serkunov and even an underdog to Jimmy Manuel knocked them both out in under a minute. So, And I felt like that first round against DC, even though it ended up with him on his back the first couple of minutes, he was throwing as hard as he could at DC. So the guy wasn't scared at all. And even that fight with Anthony Smith, it seemed like he might have won the first round and a half there too. So Volkan Uzman, this isn't going to just be Dominic Reyes, uh, you know, like that Joachim Christensen or Jeremy Kimball. This isn't going to just be a walk in the park. However, ultimately, the biggest issue I have seen in Volkan's game is the same thing he's been criticized very much, that if he doesn't get that first-round knockout, he does seem to slow down. And it's not because he has some cardio issue. It's because the guy goes so fucking hard trying to get that KO that he throws everything he has into it. And I think if that's the case here against Dominic Reyes, that Dominic can weather that storm and get the finishing blow late. But if not, I could actually see this being a three-round war. I'm going to go with Dominic Reyes for the victory. Now, is it co-main event time already? 
co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Leon Rocky Edwards. He's 16 and three, and Gunner Gunny Nelson is 17 and three. Man, this is going to be a hell of a fight because initially Leon Edwards was known as being the surgical pinpoint striker at 170. Then he fights Kamaru. All of a sudden, now he's uh, Britain's premier <laughs> D1 wrestler. And with Gunny Nelson, obviously, you know about uh, his kind of jujitsu. So he's the one guy at SBG that can tap people out. So who you got in this matchup? Yeah, it's a very uh, tough fight to call. Gunnar Nelson, I mean, look at his resume. He's got wins over Omari, uh, Alex. Japan, Alex Cowboy. Uh, I mean, he's got some wins on that resume, man. Uh, and then Leon, like you said, ever since he lost to Kamaru, this guy's been looking better fight to fight. Uh, only that kind of suspect fight he had was the Barbarina fight, but a lot of people have, uh, you know, suspect. Who doesn't fight. have a tough fight with Barbarina? <laughs> Who doesn't have a tough fight with Barb? So, uh, Who doesn't almost get knocked out by Barb, you know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think uh, how they match up, I think Gunner is definitely, you know, better at jiu-jitsu i mean we know his jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu credentials but i think leon if they grapple can out muscle him and just kind of like kind of alex cowboy had him down on the mat in top and he just kept making stupid mistakes and giving up his back and gunner if you do that against a guy like gunner he will capitalize i don't think leon makes those type of mistakes i think leon's very smart i think it, as long as he's focused, as long as he's not a little bit too cocky, which I which he's known for, which he which he is cocky a little bit right now, I think that he's the better striker on the feet. I think that Gunny is one of those guys that you can't underestimate. That's why the mental. That's why I'm saying this. You can't sleep on a guy like Gunny because when you sleep on him, then you're gonna be tapping the mat unconscious. <laughs> So he has to be focused here because I think he has a very clean game. I think he's the better striker, like I said, with that hard left kick. And his wrestling, man, he doesn't give his top control. He's strong. He can get those takedowns in every round and maintain his cardio except the Barbarina fight. But uh, I think Leon should get a win here as long as he's focused. A tough decision win. Gunner's going to stay in there for three rounds most likely just because uh, he's not the type of guy to quit. But uh, I got Leon by a 30-27. Chaz. It's interesting, man. Uh, you going with Leon or you going with Gunny? Who takes the next step uh, towards that welterweight top ten? Um, man, I got to go with Leon. I think, you know, I'm just really impressed by this guy. I think he throws. He he really mixes it mixes them well. Um, I've actually been impressed by his grappling too. I'm not saying that he's a he's not going to be the better grappler in this fight. I think Gunnar Nelson is going to be the better grappler. Gunnar Nelson has great a great top game, but. I don't think Gunnar Nelson is going to be able to take him down. I, I, re I really don't. I think that uh, Edwards, I think that one thing that he's very athletic, he's an athletic guy, he's an explosive guy, but I think that one thing that really plays in his favor is the way that, the way that he faints a lot and he cocks his hips a lot. He doesn't just, he faints with, with everything. He doesn't just throw. He, uh, he sets things up, you know. He's very good moving forward uh, and he's very good moving backwards. And I like the way that he throws faints. You know, sometimes I think his defense has a little bit of holes in it as far as striking, but, man, he looks good. Uh, his striking game looks really good. He's a, he's strong. I think he can he can possibly muscle him around in there a little bit on the uh, on the takedown the, the takedown defense. I think that I think that after Leon Edwards stuffs a couple shots, I think uh, Nelson's gonna. I'm not going to say panic because I, I like that guy too. I, 
I really like him. I mean, it's hard for me to pick against him because I've actually been a Gunnar Nelson fan for a while. I, I really enjoy watching him fight. But uh, ever since I've been watching Edwards, I've been super impressed. Uh, I like the little things that he does in transition. And I think that he stuffs the takedowns. I think he keeps it standing here. I actually even think that maybe he gets a takedown or two of his own in there. And uh, I think he wins this fight for sure. I'm going to complete the hat trick, boys. I'm going to go with Leon Edwards as well. Because what's interesting about this fight for me is that it seems like with Gunny Nelson, when he gets that mount on guys or when he takes guys back, often, oftentimes uh, he chokes them out. And with Leon, I feel like I'm going to go on record and say that he's one of the most improved fighters we've ever seen in the 170-pound division. Because if you watch that fight with Claudio Silva, where Claudio's picking him up and uh, Matt Hughes uh, walking him across the octagon and slamming him easily, then you watch that fight with Kamaru, where it was a little bit more improvement. He won the first round, but kind of got grinded out in the second and third. Then you see that win streak he's on now, where he's going out there against guys like Peter Sabata, who's a very respected jiu-jitsu black belt. You see the kind of work Leon Edwards is doing on that mat. That... That to me is all the evidence I need that this guy's been putting in work and that he's very serious about rounding out his game. And with Gunnar Nelson, he's a very skilled guy. Obviously on the feet, he kind of lulls you into that false sense of security. He's got that karate stance. And then you, you start to be like, oh, he's not going to do anything. Then all of a sudden he blitzes you with a very, very fast combination, ties you up against the fence. Now in that tie-up, what's interesting to me, what I'm trying to figure out, and maybe you can comment on this, Chaz, is that so? You know, a lot of people have said that Gunny maybe is best suited for 155 pounds. Now, I respectfully disagree, even though he's a smaller welterweight. To me, it kind of seemed like a Mirsad Bektik situation where the guy looks small, but what, but when you tie up with him, you're like, holy fuck, he's strong. Do, do you agree with that, Chess? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I never really thought he looked all that small. I thought I've always thought he looked like a decent sized welterweight, but. Yeah, you just never know, man, the density of some of these guys. And uh, not to mention, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter how – I mean, weight classes, they have weight classes for a reason, but everybody is different. Like, for me, I I like to cut weight. I, not, I don't like it. It's miserable. It fucking sucks. But, like, I feel like cutting weight gets me – keeps me disciplined. My diet has to be perfect. It keeps my cardio up because I run a ton to make sure I'm – I'm losing those pounds and, uh, and cutting weight makes me feel like I'm prepared for the fight. If somebody feels better on fight day by just, uh, walking around close to their weight, it doesn't really matter as long as they're strong and they feel good during the fight. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've never really thought that he looked like a terribly small welterweight, but when he's in there fighting people, I mean, he looks, he ain't getting muscled around. So yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like in that fight with Tumenov, you know, he might have been on uh, Connor's uh, Flintstone vitamin supplement plan there. But aside from that, <laughs> I have kind of felt that he looked a little smaller. And I do think in this specific spot that Leon might be able to bully him a little bit in those grappling exchanges. But hey, you give up your back to a guy like Gunny, you give up that mount, the fight might be over. But I simply think Leon will find a way to win here. Well, there's another thing with uh, Edwards that I, you know, and I can't remember. I can't. Re- it might have been the Cerrone fight, actually. That when they t- they tied up, uh, it was more like a tie clinch situation, and the way that Edwards broke that clinch with two like right hooks to the dome, they were just like razor fast, and and the way that he broke, he he breaks the clinches with punches. I really like that about him. Like when you get in close to him, 
you're still eating shots on the way out. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't give you breaks there. So I think that that's, that could be something that could work in his favor here. Uh, after he defends the takedown, he gets, he defends it. And then when they go to break from those clinches, I think that he's going to land some big shots there in the, in the transition periods from grappling and striking. Hey guys, Dan here. Just want to let you know, I am back to my underdog ways. And, uh, this weekend I got two underdogs at bestfightpicks.com. Let's get it, baby. Main event of the evening. We got Darren the Gorilla Till. He's 17-1-1. And Jorge Gamebred Masvidal is 32-13. in a 13. And currently they got Darren the Gorilla Till. Minus 260. The comeback on Jorge Gamebred Masvidal is plus 220. Shaq, I know every time you see that plus money next to Jorge's name, I know it's intriguing. I know it's like, oh, man, is he finally going to not lose a robbery decision this time? <laughs> so I got to know, man, here in England, I mean, look, the odds are stacked against it for a reason. You think you can overcome that and get a win? I'm not, uh, I'm not singing that tune these days too much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as this fight goes, you know, Till definitely had a disappointing effort against Woodley, uh, the former champ. Uh, how many strikes did he land? Zero. Okay, and then. <laughs> And then uh, Jorge, his last two fights have definitely been a disappointment. You know, the Damian one is not as disappointing, but it was what happened afterwards. You know, that Wonder Boy fight was the first time in a while where he ever really, where he's just looked, you know. They're trying to slip the Maya fight yeah, under the rug. They're trying to slip, look, going into the fight, they're trying to slip the Maya fight under the, rug, under the rug. Jorge, if you win this fight, will still give you the title shot. And in my opinion, he went out there and laid an egg. I mean, that was the first time in a while he got dropped. I was. Uh, I mean, he just had no chance in that. I remember fight. what he told most, Michael Bisping exactly, on fight week. You know, he's a guy that's been uh, known for losing by split decision. That was the first time in a while where he's gotten absolutely dominated from start to finish. So that showed me that that Jorge Masvidal, in my opinion, is declining. And then after that, he goes off and does the uh, Telemundo TV show, which you know, go ahead, get paid, bro. But it just lets me know that Jorge, you know, possibly might be looking to, uh, you know, start a start a retirement plan. Man, it's not no shame in that he's. Got 45 fights. Cerrone's beat some of the best of the best. Darren Till, on the other hand, I think he was a case of uh, another hype machine, you know, uh, in truthfulness, man. To lose to Woodley's one thing. The way that that uh, played out, just let me know. The guy had no business being in there. He was not ready for that fight. You know, a lot of people think he got gifted a decision against Wonderboy. Uh, the level of his opponents going into that fight with Woodley were nothing close to that level, so... I think they had a good point, but just as far as these guys match up, I, I do think we're going to start seeing a decline from Jorge Masvidal. You know, I feel like Till has a lot of size, or at least he will on fight night, as long as that weight cuts uh, going according to plan, which I think it is. Because going into the Woodley fight, I did think he came in a little bit too light. I mean, he weighed in at 169. Uh, I mean, he just looked really light that whole week, man. So, you know, I think uh, Till is the better puncher. You know, I feel like Jorge, like we saw the last his last fight was the first time he got dropped flush. I think uh, there's a chance that he gets dropped flush here as well. And I think that if Till does that, I think he can just coast a decision here in his hometown of England. We know George's history on the cards. And George does have a pulling the trigger issue, man. Sometimes he just doesn't let it go. And I feel like that's cost him a lot of fights, at least he should let it go more than what he's doing, you know? So I feel like uh, at this stage in his career that Till's just going to pick him apart for a decision, but I wouldn't be surprised if he actually got a finish here. Chaz, what's interesting about this fight is that, you know, we bring up how Jorge Masvidal lost all those split decisions, but what's interesting to me about that is it's not because he's a shitty fighter or anything like that. It just seems to me like Jorge Masvidal feels like he might be winning every fight and then he just doesn't uh, have the proper amount of output to actually get the decision on, on the judges' scorecard. So, Chas Kelly, what's your opinion on Till versus Masvidal? Yeah, 
You know, uh, I actually think, in my opinion, man, I like Masvidal. I've always liked Masvidal. I like his style. I like his striking. I, I think uh, a battle of, of two strikers here. Um, I think Masvidal is a little uh, tighter with his defense, with his guard. He's a little tighter with his punches on the inside there. Honestly, I like Masvidal. I think that he's going to mix in his wrestling a little bit in this one. I mean, even if he just faints and takedowns and gets Till thinking takedown, um, I think that he's going to pressure Till a little bit. I mean, Till's going to be the bigger guy, so size could could play a factor. But I, I just like Masvidal. I think that he's going to – I think he's going to outbox him, to be honest. I think he's going to have the crisper, cleaner boxing. I think he's going to land the better shots. I think Till's going to get a little bit frustrated and start trying to land the big shots. And I think that's going to open up some takedowns. I think Masvidal's going to get some takedowns and grind out the rounds. So, so he's going with Masvidal. I mean, listen, if you're picking him, he's plus two twenty. You taking that shot on uh, on the underdog here? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little bit on him, but I've got a, you know, I've got a lot out on it already. So, <laughs> I, I did I put him in a I actually put him in a, a parlay, but I'm you, not. Uh, you put a plus two twenty dog in a parlay, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chaz Skelly likes to live life dangerously. That's right. That's how I roll. So, man, my opinion on this fight, well, first of all, I got to preface it by saying that I have so much respect for both these guys, and, and on a personal level, too, not just because they're exciting fighters, but because, you know, when I was first starting out half the battle, Darren Till always gave me an interview, no problem, uh, super cool guy. And then also Jorge Masvidal fought in Atlanta, Georgia at UFC 201, and he was you know, surrounded by a 30-person entourage, and he still had enough time to come up to Shaq and I, shake our hands, and let us know not to bet the under two and a half in the Ross Pearson fight. Thank you, George, for that tip. So, I mean, listen, as far as his matchup and how their styles match up, what's interesting to me is that Darren Till is so much bigger than Jorge Masvidal. This seems like it's an 185-er versus a 155-er. Now, we can talk about the skills. Jorge is very well-rounded, very skilled, but... Size, I mean, there's weight classes for a reason. I do think size will be a factor here. Let me explain what I mean by that because what was that fight where we saw recently where the more skilled guy was the smaller guy, but every time the bigger guy would land? Exactly. We saw this fight between Cannoneer and Reyes that happened at 205 pounds. And what was interesting about that fight was that it seemed like Cannoneer was actually the more skilled fighter, but anytime he would touch Reyes... Anytime he would touch Reyes, it wouldn't affect Reyes, but anytime Reyes would touch him, it would fucking wobble him and stun him. And obviously, since that point, Cannonier dropped 20 pounds. Now he's at 185 pounds. He's at his proper weight class. I see a similar thing happening here. I feel like Jorge Masvidal is going to look like, okay, he's got the better technique. He's got, you know, he's just a more well rounded guy, but every time Till lands, it's going to have an effect because of the size difference. And ultimately, and I know Darren Till had that questionable moment in that Dolby fight so you might wonder oh what happens if this goes late well I don't question that because in that fight against Wonderboy it was Till who was dropping Wonderboy in the fifth round so Till's cardio I don't have a question about it and Jorge obviously you know he can go the full distance you've seen it many times against Gil Melendez against Benson Henderson what do those fights have in common he lost close decisions man I don't think Till's gonna blow him out the water and not by any means Jorge is as skilled as they come and man, if Jorge can mix in some MMA uh, takedowns, some some nice wrestling there, like he did to James Krause, like he did to Michael Chiesa, like he did to fucking Pat Healy back in the day, maybe he can go out here and put on this MMA clinic or capitalize on opportunities, submit Darren Till. But ultimately, I have Darren Till via decision. Well, now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle. 
This is uh, the Spotify era of half the battle, and uh, what a better card than uh, than Darren Till and Jorge Masvidal to kick it off. This is a pretty sick card, but um, it's going to be tough, man. There's a lot of toss-ups, and it's I think it's hard to find a good DraftKings lineup you like, but there's definitely money to be won, and I'm going to try to win it. Oh, so Kyle Marley's saying it's a tough card from the DraftKings perspective, huh? Yeah, I think it is. So, main event, obviously, Darren Till, Jorge Masvidal. Do you see any value in the dog Masvidal? The reason I ask is, obviously, you know the odds are stacked against him, not just at the betting window, but his history with decisions, this being in London. Tell me your opinion. Uh, yeah, I actually do side with the dog, um, mostly because of prices. He's only 7K, while Till is 9.2K. Uh, I think this is going to be a close fight. I think it's closer than the odds indicate. Um, and I see, I probably see it going all five rounds. If that's the case, I see, see it going down to like a split decision if it were like anywhere else in the world. But with it being in England, I have to think that the judges are going to give it to Till in a close fight. Uh, so I am picking Till to get the win, but $9,200, it's really hard to pay up for that when he's scoring like 65 and five round decisions. Um, so I'm really more interested in the seven k from masvidal because he can go out there and put 50 points up in a loss um and at 7k i'm okay with that if i can get five other people i feel good about um i think masvidal is like a cash lock at that price and i don't see him getting finished and that's what till would need to do to pay off his price tag so i think all the value here is on the dog give me him uh, in all formats nathaniel woods taking on jose canones and many feel like this is a a hometown uh, showcase fight for Nathaniel Wood. But as you know, Jose Canona, he's on a four-fight win streak inside the octagon. Trains with Dominic Cruz. Very tough guy. Which way are you going? Got to go with Nathaniel Wood here. He's definitely going to have the crowd behind him. So they're going to be going crazy every time he lands something. And I've been super impressed with this kid. So he's definitely one of my favorite plays on the card. Uh, mostly, though, because he's probably my most confident play on the card. On a card with a whole bunch of toss-ups. He's the one I feel best about, um, so that's why I really like him. But he is $9,400 on DraftKings. He's the highest-priced guy. Um, it's going to be hard to get him in lineups, but I am going to try and make it a priority to be overweight on him. So I like Wood a good bit here. I'll probably be fading Quinones. Uh, and I think Wood's probably going to finish him at some point. So like second, third-round finish by Wood. And I say he will pay off that $9,400 salary. So speaking of toss-ups, you got Claudio Silva taking on Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. And in my eyes, it's pretty clear-cut. Either Claudio Silva is going to get on top of Danny and pound him out or choke him out, or Danny's going to keep it standing and knock him out. So you going with uh, the third-degree black belt, or are you going with Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts? Uh, I like this fight a lot from a DraftKings perspective, so I'll definitely be taking shots on both sides. Uh, I just feel like this is going to be one of those lineups that or one of those fights that ends up on the optimal lineup. If Roberts goes out there and gets a KO at 7,600, he's going to be on it. And then I think if Claudio can get the fight uh, to the ground, then he could probably lock up a first or second round sub as well. And that'll put him on it at 8,500. So, or 8,600. So it's just a fight I'm going to be targeting in a lot of my lineups, but I do like the dog here. Uh, I think Roberts will be able to keep this fight standing. And I think his edge on the feet is just, so big where I don't see Silva being able to last three rounds if he's stuck standing. So he's going to have to get the fight to the ground to win. Uh, but if he does, he's going to pull off the submission probably. So that's why you got to target both sides. Uh, if I was making one lineup, though, I'll take Roberts. He's my pick by knockout. 
So another fight that's kind of a toss-up at the betting window. But interestingly enough, this isn't striker versus grappler. This is uh, a lot of Welsh pride on the line because John Phillips is taking on Jack Marshman. These two don't like each other, and they both have very similar styles. They like to stand and trade. They both love the knockout. So who do you think is going to get that knockout? Yeah, another fight that I love both sides of. This is one of my top three favorite fights on the card for DraftKings because I do think one of them is going to get knocked out. Uh, and again, I'll lean with the dog. I think the line is a little bit too wide. And on DraftKings, we got uh, Phillips $1,400 cheaper. So with this being just a slug him out brawl, I think Phillips Chin's going to hold up a little bit more. And I like him at that cheaper price. Um, I do think, though, whoever wins the fight is probably going to be on the optimal lineup with the knockdown or multiple knockdowns and the knockout. Even though this fight isn't going to be getting any takedowns, which is what I usually like to target, this is still one of my favorite fights. So I'll be taking shots on both sides, but a lot more on Phillips. He's my uh, one-unit free, one free bet of the week at plus 150. So I do like him to get the win, and I like the price. So Arnold Allen versus Jordan Rinaldi is so intriguing from a DraftKings perspective because I feel like Arnold Allen has the more finishing potential, but Jordan Rinaldi can add up points with the takedowns. So I got to know, man, is this that spot where you're going to be 50-50 on the lineups, or what are you thinking? No, I would rather fade this fight than go 50-50. I am picking Allen to win. Uh, I think he just has more ways to win, and my issue is that he's never even scored 80 points in a win he's got four wins on his record and his highest is 79 points so at $8,700 it's not going to do you a whole lot of good um and since I'm not picking Rinaldi I just don't have as much interest in him when there are a lot of dogs on this card that I do like so I think really this is a fight to fade and the only reason to target it would be if you're wanting low ownership on either guy so Sapperbeg Safarov is taking on the newcomer Nikolai you going with Nikolai or are you going with Safarov? Um, so, yeah, this is my other favorite fight on the card. This is my top three favorite fights are uh, Silva, Roberts, Marshman Phillips, and then this fight. Um, and I was uh, actually originally leaning with Safarov just because he's got the UFC experience. Um, I just think this is going to be another brawl where one guy's going to drop for sure. I'm really not <laughs> impressed with either one of them. Um but I've changed my pick. I think today I changed my pick over to the debut fighter. I can't even pronounce his name, but I think he's going to end up knocking Safarov out of the UFC. Um, and at 9K, I mean, I just think he's going to end up paying that off because it's going to most likely be a finish. We don't have any props on this card yet, but I think fight doesn't go to decision is going to be uh, pretty highly lined on this fight. And I do like targeting both sides of it, but I'll take the favorite. So, an intriguing fight in the middleweight division. You got Ian Heinish taking on Tom Breeze. Obviously, Tom Breeze moving up from welterweight. You saw his middleweight debut, a first-round KO over Kelly. And Ian Heinish, you saw his UFC debut going out there and beating uh, the top 20 Cesar Mutanchi. So, what's your opinion on this middleweight clash? It is a close one. Uh, I really like it more from a watching angle than I do from DraftKings. Uh, I don't trust either guy enough to be heavily invested in either of them. But I think... Breeze has the edge on the feet, and I think he'll be able to keep it there. So I am going to pick Breeze. I just think he probably wins by a decision. Maybe he gets around that 10x um, of that $8,400 price tag. I just don't see him having like 100-plus upside where there are a lot of people on this card who could get that, and even underdogs who could get that. Heinisch Heinisch could get it done as well. Uh, I think he'd have a better shot if he can get the fight to the ground, maybe do some ground and pound, get a finish that way. But – I don't know. I'm probably going to have less of this fight 
than the field altogether, but my pick is Breeze by 29-28 decision. And last but not least, Nad Naramani is taking on Mike Grundy. You know Mike Grundy's been a popular underdog. He dropped all the way from plus 250 to plus 135. I know he's going to be popular on DraftKings. Is this a good spot to take Nad Naramani, or do you recommend fading the fight altogether? I, I kind of do like this fight, actually, for both sides. I mean, you got to like Grundy just because he's a wrestler. He's going to be going out there looking for takedowns. And if he gets them and gets the win, I mean, $7,300, he's got a good shot of being on the optimal lineup. So you definitely can't fade Grundy. But I am picking Naramani here to get the win. I think he's going to be much better on the feet. I think he can get a knockout. And with this odds value all along Grundy, it's going to keep Naramani at a lower ownership. And that's what I really do like about him most is – the lower ownership. If I can get him at 15% and he goes out there and gets a first round knockout, I got a good chance of winning that 25K. So I'm going to have more Naramani here and I'm going to go the opposite of the line movement, but I can't fade Grundy because he is going to be the one looking to get the takedowns. And that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Kyle, it's going down this Saturday. They can follow you at Big Marley 3 and your bets are available and your DraftKings write ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. And I heard that uh, you have a max bet this weekend. That's right, man. What do we say? Uh, it's max bet season, right? That's right. I do feel good about this one, uh, and I got some underdogs going as well. So hop on those plays. I feel good about this week. We're going to win big, uh, and then we're going to keep it rolling next week. Yes, sir. You can catch those at bestfightpicks.com. Kyle Marley, best of luck. We'll speak soon. All right. Good luck. Let's get it. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC London? My fight to watch is going to be Claudio the Hannibal Silva against uh, Hot Chocolate Roberts. I mean, Hot Chocolate Roberts, how many fight of the nights does he have? A bunch, right? So, I mean, anytime that guy fights, uh, you got to watch. And either someone's going to get brutally submitted or brutally knocked out. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Chaskelly, it's a great card. What is your fight to watch for UFC London? I think my I think my fight to watch is going to be the main event. I really like the matchup. I like the Tilvers match at all matchup. I think it's going to be a very tactical striking match up with some uh possibly some takedowns thrown in there and it could uh it could end up being a slobber knocker so i like that yeah i mean i don't know the last time i missed a jorge masvidal or darren till fight so i have to agree with you for me my fight to watch is going to be joseph duffy versus mark DeCasey. both of these guys backs are up against the wall obviously joe duffy hasn't fought since that knockout loss to vic back in 2017 with DeCasey coming off three very devastating losses in a row the winner i mean both these guys desperately need to get back on track, and for that reason, that is my fight to watch. Not to mention, it's going to be very exciting while it lasts as well. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC London? My fighter to watch is someone you just mentioned, Mark DeCasey. His job's on the line this weekend. This guy, at one point, was one of the top prospects. They were saying he was going to fight your boy Vic. They were saying he was uh, on his way to the top 15, and now he's on the verge of possibly getting cut. I think it's a winnable fight for him. And uh, if he wins this fight, you know, his confidence might just shoot through the roof. He might, you know, go back on that trajectory. But uh, He might dye his mohawk another exactly. color. Exactly. <laughs> but Mark DeCasey's my fighter to watch. Chaz, who is your fighter to watch for UFC London? My fighter to watch is going to be Mike Grundy. I think uh, this is something for me. It's a good test for him. Nad is a, a very well-rounded fighter. He's a good fighter. And we'll see what exactly Grundy brings to the table. Is is his high-level wrestling, is it good enough to, to stick with the top-level guys? And Is his ground game, is he good enough on top to, to get those finishes? Or... Is this just going to be a bust of a, you know, just a one-trick pony? 
And my father to watch is Ian Heinisch. This is a guy who has overcome a lot of adversity in his personal life. Obviously, you knew he got locked away in Rutgers Island, completely turned his life around now on six days short notice, gets a win over a top 20 guy in Cesar Mutanchi. Now here against Tom Breeze, he's got a chance to not only go on a two-fight win streak, but show that he might be one of the top prospects and now even contenders in the UFC middleweight division. So for that reason, Ian Heinisch, is my fighter to watch. Well, gentlemen, we did it. It's going down this Saturday afternoon on ESPN Plus, UFC London, Till versus Masvidal. They can follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. They can follow Chaz the Scrapper Skelly at Chaz Skelly. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our bets, our plays are available at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. And now, for the very first time, on Spotify. This is so exciting. Thank you guys so much. And... Go to bestfightpicks.com because right now, this year, it's been pretty much, it's been underdog season. You know about that Cerrone plus 170, that Cejudo plus 190, last week on that Zaleski plus 105, that Diego Sanchez plus 225. I'm back to my underdog ways, so hit me up at bestfightpicks.com. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.